Welcome to Gleaming the Tube, the podcast where Kevin and Mike watch a film in which somebody rides a skateboard at some point. Finally, a podcast where people talk about movies. Hello, Michael. Hello, Kevin. 1976's Kenny and Company, written, directed, produced, shot, and edited by Don Coscarelli. It's a lot of jobs. Tells the story of young Kenny as he comes of age in 70s Southern California, fighting bullies, having his first crush, and dressing up as a horrific bear pig hybrid for Halloween. And he skateboards. Now, Michael and I uh, have a guest to discuss this film with us this week. So please welcome to the stage, Mr. Chris Cummins. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Michael. Thank you for having me on here. Thank you. Thank you for coming, Chris. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Chris hosts um, a regular uh, series of shows on Twitch called Sci-Fi Explosion and Cosmic Cartoons. And Chris, I want you to, to tell them about it. The main Sci-Fi Explosion show is basically it's a celebration of the strangest aspects of, of science fiction. Uh, I, I am a diehard sci-fi guy, but what I really like about science fiction is how it's permeated every aspect of contemporary life to the point where like sci-fi ephemera is so prevalent uh, to the point where you have like commercials for jeans that robocop is trying to sell or uh in the 1980s music videos where you had artists who had no right making science fiction music videos like uh billy ocean and rick springfield making these incredible sci-fi music videos so i kind of focus on the strangest aspects of science fiction i call my show a cosmic cabaret of craziness which is uh which is what it is and every week there's kind of a loose theme uh, but it's mainly like, hey, I like this. You'll like this too. Watch. And then uh, every Saturday morning, I do a show called Cosmic Cartoons, which is basically like the Saturday morning cartoon lineup I wish I had uh, growing up. Um, so I'll pull different episodes spanning from like the 50s to roughly like 93 or 94 of um, I curate cartoons. I put in old public service announcements and ads and all sorts of craziness. Uh, basically, it's just a good way to kickstart the weekend. And I have to say that uh, I am a huge fan of both of these shows. They are a ton of fun on Twitch. I love all the weird old commercials, especially that you dig up. There's a chat room feature, which allows me to um, get out all of the dumb jokes about the bugaloos that I've ever wanted to get out. And I don't in my daily life usually have an outlet for that. So I cannot recommend checking out Chris's Twitch channel enough. I will put a link to it in the show comments. Um, and when I was talking about the show with Chris, Chris uh, mentioned Kenny and company and both Michael and myself had never even heard of this movie. Not at all. I, when you sent me the link, I didn't realize I was, it was just the movie had started. I thought it was like a trailer for it. So like five minutes and I was like, wait, what, am I watching the movie? What's happening? Like it's, it starts very abruptly and just sort of keeps going. It's good stuff. Chris, how did you find this movie? I found out about this movie, a friend of mine, um, who is a huge Don Coscarelli fan who actually, um, worked on, uh, Phantasm 3 
and he's good friends with Reggie Bannister. And uh, the first, uh, I'm a writer in my day job, and the first celebrity interview I ever did was with Reggie Bannister because uh, this friend of mine worked on a, uh, he was trying to get financing for the short film that he was putting together, and Reggie Bannister was going to be one of the stars of it. And uh, I didn't know anything about Coscarelli, or I was like 21. I didn't know anything about uh, Reggie Bannister. I didn't know anything. So, uh, you know, so my friend and I were talking about like kind of underrated Halloween movies. And uh, because I was, I was programming every year I do like this big Halloween show um, where I do, it started as 12 hours and it's now going to 24 hours. And I think this year it's going to be 24 as well, but I was looking for kind of stuff to fill the hours uh, with that. And he's like, you know, have you ever seen Kenny and company? And I'm like, no, what is this? And he said it was Don Coscarelli's second film, I believe. But, um, a lot of the DNA, it shares a lot of the DNA with phantasm, um, which I absolutely agree with. Angus Grimm is in this film briefly. Uh, and it definitely, uh, it definitely has a really great fun, uh, fall feel. So it was just in a friend's recommendation that I watched it. And I, I, immediately immediately fell in love with this movie because it i grew up in the late 70s early 80s and to me this movie is one of the most accurate portrayals of kind of like what it felt like as a kid to grow up in that era yeah that's i think what i really responded to once i kind of got it took me a few minutes to sort of sort of get into the into the, the spirit of the film i felt like for the first maybe 20 minutes i kept feeling like i had zoned out and miss something, but I had not. It's just this sort of disparate grouping of scenes that kind of melt one, you know, that that sort of it, it, it very like what you just said, it very much feels like you're a little kid, like you get distracted, something's happening over here, there's a bully, there's a girl you like. At first, I felt like that was going to be my complaint about the film. But then as I watched it, I was like, oh, no, it makes sense. Like, it's all this sort of half remembered. Something is really, really important. And then you get distracted and you're on to the next thing. And one one of your parent, one of your friends, parents is kind of a weird, creepy dude. And the other ones are a little too straight laced. And then, like, it vacillates from these moments that seem really, really, like I said, like that, like seem really, really disconnected. But then there's these other moments that are like really kind of sweet and touching that like you, I kind of couldn't ignore it. I was like, oh, that was actually a really sweet little scene between him and his friend when his like dog dies and stuff. I th- like at, by the time the movie ended, I was like, I feel like I almost wanted to watch it again because by the time the movie ended, I was like in the right mindset, and it reminded me a lot of Licorice Pizza. Thank you. Okay, because I have that in my notes. Because uh, what I what I was just gonna say real real briefly is like I feel like this is the kind of like loose hang movie that Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson are always trying to do these days. Right. And right. It's so authentic. Yeah. I I I when I watched Licorice Pizza, I I I remember having that same feeling. Like I realized like that it was all this. The best way to describe it, I think, is like this weird, the way that you're happy, you, you like, it seemed like with Licorice Pizza and with, with Kenny and Company, it's like he's recounting this stuff from way later in his life. I, about halfway through the movie, I was like, yeah, this is, I feel like Paul Thomas Anderson did a screening of Kenny and Company. I was like, I'm going to try to make that movie. Well, it's weird. You mentioned like the recounting. And one of the things that struck me about this was 
the film does have narration, but in a lot of the coming of age movies I grew up with, like Stand By Me or even The Wonder Years, it's all sort of told in like a, a wise, ruleful way by like a middle aged person looking back at their at their youth. And Kenny is sort of narrating the film as his present day self, as yes, as twelve year old Kenny. And honestly, what it reminded me of the most was Judy Bloom. I kept thinking of Judy Bloom books when I was watching it. And I loved Judy Bloom when I was a kid. Yeah, that really resonates. I because it's again, same thing for like the first 20 minutes, it's just as long. He's just introducing the characters as they kind of come into the into the fold. And you're right, that does have a definite like these are my weird neighbors and and the guy up the street. So that's a good observation. It does it has a very Judy Bloom feel to it. As a uh, as a big comic book guy, the the kind of points of reference that I kept going to is it really felt like either Carl Barks's Uncle Scrooge stories or Bob Bowling's Little Archie stuff. That kind of that teeter totting between like whimsy and melancholy that like childhood is, and like for for me, what rang true is like I remember specifically being in middle school where every day it was just like you know it was yeah I would I would vacillate between like sheer terror. Or like total joy about something or other. Like I would be like, I'd be like worried about bullies in school, and then I'd go home and I'd be like, oh, I got a new game for the Commodore sixty four. Let me play this. And like th- this movie kind of captures that, like you know, these little big moments that that feel so great. And by giving it the loose framework of childhood uh, of Halloween, I mean, where it's like you're so focused on this big event that is over so quick. That it's, uh, you know, it's it's very much like, oh, my God, this is like, you know, this is how I was as a kid. And more than that, it's kind of I'll use Dragon Con as an example. It's it's like, you know, oh, my God, I've been waiting for this event for so long and I totally enjoyed it. And now it's over and whoops, I'm back to my regular life. And there's all these problems to deal with. And uh, and and this movie does it just it just nails like I think adolescents, especially adolescents in the seventies and eighties where helicopter parents weren't like a thing. And like, I was a latchkey kid and like things like that. So all this really kind of rang true to me. Yeah. I I agree. Like I grew up in the, I grew up in the very early eighties with the same thing where like, I would be unaccounted for, for hours and encounter a bully and then buy a bunch of candy and go in the woods and eat it with my friends. And then, yeah, like and have all these sort of weird mini adventures. And you're, I, I also really love the idea that the kid, I guess Kenny himself, worked so hard on that bear costume, and everyone kept calling him a pig. And he was like, "God damn it, I, I, I had a vision." And it, yeah, it's like, yeah, that that really resonated. I also, I loved, I laughed out loud at the at the the grift of each one of them taking a turn saying, can I have an extra piece of candy? My sick brother couldn't make it. I was like, oh man, that's brilliant. You're playing on the, on the sympathies of the, and then the, the one older lady is like, get the fuck out of here. You, you, you don't yeah, have she, a, she just has no time for it. All. Every, every kid in the last hour pulled that shit with her. <laughs> or he's like, here kid, play with my gun. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. This will be funny. I'll draw a gun and point it at an 11 year old as a gag. <laughs> because like, I know on, on my street growing up, like, you know, Halloween was 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 such a big deal. And there was always that like one or two houses where the people there were kind of a little bit off, almost like vaguely sinister or, you know, 
whatever. But like I, I specifically remember this one house that like I just would my my brother and sister and I would just we finally started avoiding because you'd have to go in. And there was some like pervy old dude in the house who would be like, oh, do a trick if you want to get a treat. And we're like, <laughs> you know, like even at like five to seven, we knew. So the scene with like, like oh, try the gun, you know, is just like, yeah, you know, and, and like even the haunted house that was like borderline inappropriate. But like, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, you know, we were largely fearless because you know the world hadn't quite ended yeah yeah yet. it was all bmx bikes and bare feet man you were just you were just yeah. ham and egg it out there yeah yeah i uh i when when i was a kid there was i remember it reminded me of there was an older man who lived like a couple of blocks up and it was like it's like such a typical coming of age thing but somebody dared me to go to his house and trick-or-treat and when he came to the door I, it's it's it didn't strike me then, but remembering back on it, I remember I, he was completely unprepared and I went to his door and, and rang the bell and said trick or treat. And he managed to find a roll of pennies and gave me the roll of pennies. And now I think back, and I'm like, God damn, that guy, that guy was like, what the, what am I going to do? I got this kid. I've got an open bag of like Lay's potato chips. I can't give him that. And he handed me a roll of pennies. And now I think, man, that's like, like inflation wise, that'd be like giving being handed like a a twenty dollar bill in in two thousand yeah in two thousand twenty two money. So yeah, I had but so yeah, it's like those. It's funny because a lot of that stuff fails to to translate in a Hollywood movie. But I almost think like like I I like I said, I think the thing that I initially thought of as sort of a poorly constructed narrative worked really well for a while uh, a, a mutual friend of ours Liam and I were watching a lot of like bad I think of it almost in terms of like pre fast times at Ridgemont High teen comedies from the 70s like horror high and surf surfing or whatever it was called and all of those movies suffer from like a complete and total lack of like any kind of character development or any kind of like there's no reason why you would like cheer or root for any of these characters they are all just these fucking assholes because they're written by adults who think teenagers are fucking assholes. But this movie, this movie managed to pull off the thing. A lot of those movies couldn't, which is that they, they were like sweet kids. You know, I like genuinely liked them. There's definitely an authenticity to these kids because like the Sherman character, for example, I, I, I know in my neighborhood, there was like always this kind of, pain in the ass tag along kid who you know who meant nothing but you know nothing but the best and would do do anything for you just because he wanted to like fit in right and so you know and there were always the kind of older kids who were kind of you know being like let me play with your star wars figures if you want to hang out you got to bring over your ewok village and stuff like that you know and and so that really uh you know it just it just rings true because you know there there is like there there's a purity to the time that he's representing because like these kids are like on the cusp of puberty they're just discovering girls they're just you know so it is very much like a kind of end of innocence type movie but in the most like wholesome gee whiz almost like disney kind of way i remember being that age and having like my first intense crushes and it's like you don't even know what to do with those feelings and I felt like that was really accurate to the movie where Kenny fixates on this girl. He doesn't even know why, you know, they hold hands yeah. a couple of times and then, you know, the next time he sees her, she's with his rival 
Um, <laughs> right. But he doesn't, you know, he doesn't, to his credit, Kenny does not retreat to his room with a Smith's cassette. He instead <laughs> is like, well, I'm going to hang out with my pals and shoot BB guns. I'm going to ride my skateboard. The Smith's cassette was my move all the time. That was just, yeah. But yeah, but like, because they were like, what, do you think they're supposed to be like 12 in this movie? Is that? That seems about right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seems like, yeah, yeah Sherman, I think Sherman's like eight or nine, maybe. Like, I like yeah. how they're initially annoyed by Sherman, but they eventually kind of bring him into the fold. Well, it, it it's funny because that's kind of how it always works. When I when I was a kid, I had a friend named Chris who was one year older than me, and he had a brother who was two years younger than me. And he, when we first started hanging out, he was like a child. He was like a five year old. But what are you going to do? We we're all hanging out. You got to you, you you're watching your brother while you're playing. So we you know we were nine and we were hanging out with this like whatever like four or five year old. But then as you grow older, it's hard because like eventually they can keep up, and they they you know they they kind of come into their own. But like at that age, a couple of years difference is a difference between. I mean, you're not even a fully formed human yet, you know. And you can't keep up on your bike. Yeah, it was like me when I was 12 and I first got into computer bold and board systems um, because I was uh, not an athletic child. Um, yes. And most Same. most of the people on these PBSs were kind of older kids, like 16, 17 years old. And I was a really kind of annoying, awkward 12 year old. And I wore them down. And eventually I became, you know, kind of part of the gang. But it was it was a it was a process, let's say. Yes. Um, but to me, yeah. it was this Im- like huge thing knowing, um, you know, when I was 12 and I realized that I was I was a nerd, I was really distraught because you like you see the portrayal of nerds in media. And I was like, that's going to be my life like this <laughs> sucks. And then I was like, well, these guys are nerds and they like have girlfriends and have a lot of fun. And so maybe this is going to be awesome. And that was like the first time I was able to make that connection. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For me. And it's funny that for me, that was skateboarding. When I got a skateboard, it was right at that. You know, I had a toy skateboard. There was no like, I like social identity to it. It was just this, you know, mode of transportation. And then as I remember seeing like a you know in movies and i'd see like punk rock guys on skateboards and i think oh like you can you can really lean into that and that's why i i love the movies where they're skateboarding featured but in the 70s because it was that, that that's that weird time where every kid had a skateboard but it wasn't quite the 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 cultural touchstone it was it would become and so this thing that goes, you know, it's under your arm is almost like a toy suddenly has this like full on culture and identity attached to it. I got a real kick out of noticing, like I did a little research. I couldn't find any information about like stunt performers or anything. And I came to the conclusion. I think those kids were doing their own skateboarding. I noticed right away that like between the two of them, Doug had a style and Doug was like a good, like he was like a good skateboarder. There's a scene where they're they're skating together down like a hill, and Kenny is like, you know, he's stiff legging it. He can do it. He can stand on the thing and he can make it down the hill. But Doug is like shredding behind. I was like, oh, Doug's the natural. He's the one who can jump over the garbage can onto the other skateboard. Uh, and so Doug will go on to continue skateboarding, whereas Kenny might just, you know, put it aside. I mean, let's face it. 
you know, with, with little with little Kenny's going to join the furry community <laughs> <laughs> with with <laughs> with little kids. It's like it's funny to watch because like uh, ob- the obviously more um, efficient means of conveyance is a bike. So you have to make this hard choice when you're a kid. Like, am I going to be able to get somewhere quickly and efficiently or am I going to get there stylishly? And so some kids choose the skateboard because it's a way cooler thing to do. But a bike, let's face it, is a a much more uh, efficient mode of transportation. I noticed that Doug's even doing tricks like Doug's doing the hand. He's doing the handstand trick. At one point, he's almost doing some proto street skating. Yeah, he rides down a set of steps, and that one. All right, that, and that is funny that you bring it up because that's when I noticed Doug when he rides down the steps knows to put his weight on the back of the board and kind of hop down each step, whereas Kenny goes in uh, hang ten style and kind of flops down the steps and doesn't make it because he doesn't have the same alacrity on a skateboard that Doug does. Which I thought was just—it's just like a funny. It's a it's a funny thing to notice when you realize like these are just two kids riding their skateboards and one of them has this like sort of built in natural ability and the other kid's like white knuckle in it. <laughs> it's interesting to me how Coscarelli like did so like wore so many hats on this movie and how this is clearly kind of an independent film and he goes from this and uh, the the story I read was that he saw the reaction in the audience to kind of the haunted house halloween sequence and then decides well i'm gonna make a horror movie and he makes phantasm with a lot of the same cast members like the high school teachers in it and doug is kind of the main kid in phantasm and phantasm's also kind of a very low for you know it's i think they made it for three hundred thousand dollars which at the time was you know still a lot of money but in the realm of hollywood not and phantasm wound up being a hit and i i wonder if he had kept more in the in the lane of Kenny and company, how that would have worked out. But it does feel like if you're an independent filmmaker and you want to make a splash, horror seems to be the way to go. Especially that time. All of my favorite horror movies absolutely benefit from a low budget and kind of a small crew to keep everything kind of close. And, and you know, the, the minute there's too high of a budget, like you could, yeah, like you said, the guy in the haunted house wearing the costume of the whatever that demon with the weird thing that's like one step away from, well, you don't make it a costume and it's got an articulated jaw. And now this guy's the bad guy in a heart, you know, in a horror movie. I also thought it was funny that I didn't understand the connection to the pumpkin in the beginning, the animated pumpkin, because it's another like 62 minutes before there's a, there's a, a Halloween element. I was like, what the fuck is with the pumpkin? Oh, the, it's a Halloween movie. <laughs> like, but that didn't occur to me for a long time because I went into this movie completely cold. I had no no idea what it was about at all. I I just knew I knew there that it did have a Halloween element and Angus Grimm was in it. That's yeah. all I knew about this movie going into it. And like, it, it's funny to me that like this movie came out two years before Carpenter's Halloween, and you know it. it in what year did Phantasm come out? Was that like 78 or 79? But it's around the same time as as Halloween. So like, obviously, he, you know, between what you were just talking about and the success of Halloween, he's like, yeah, I think there's more money to be made doing these, you know, low budget horror pictures. So let's let's go to that. Well, and but yeah, I wonder, like, I, I wonder, I, I feel like this guy could have had a good like, not that I'm I'm not shitting on his career, but I feel like he could have had like a 
like a Disney career done like a boy who could fly or play the navigator or something like had he stayed in the, you know, in, in the realm of Kenny and company. I, I, I think this movie, like it's so, so obscure that like um, it's never been on, on Blu-ray. There is an out of print anchor Bay DVD release that goes for like $55 on Amazon 55 and up. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of like completely forgotten. And I think it, I think it's something of like a small classic. It should definitely be, you know, celebrated, especially this time of year, because it is it is a hell of a fun Halloween film. I mean, you know, the good chunk in the middle towards the end, like I is all like, let's get ready for Halloween with uh, Kenny's kind of prophecy cosplay he has of the bear pig and all that <laughs> stuff. Like it's it's. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. I would love to see like a nice Blu-ray re-release of this. I thought it weird that I had never heard of this movie just because I'm the sort of person who hears of things. And same. Yeah. And sort of even looking at YouTube comments, it seems like this maybe got a fair amount of play on HBO around 1980, which I did not have HBO when I, I didn't I didn't have cable growing up. So I think people caught it on HBO, which is if if this movie has a following, it's based on that. And there are a million YouTube comments of like, you know, kids today with their cell phones and their TikToks don't know what it's like <laughs> to play with guns and ride in the back. I, of I think I trucks. wrote those comments. So I think yeah. I was in there. <laughs> and it's it's you know, it's weird. like as someone with young children I am absolutely like my kids are absolutely scheduled to death. And the idea of just letting them run around uh, the town that I live in unsupervised at this point, you know, I, my oldest kid is, is seven um, is horrifying to me. And I'm like, is that, is that something the media has done to me? Is that, well, I mean, I'll use an example of the movie I watched <laughs> last night, which would make an amazing double feature with Kennedy, Kenny and company with Kenny going first. And that is the black phone. And I would say if you show this movie and the black phone, both of which take place at the same time, basically, uh, you will see that, you know, maybe it wasn't so great for the, the free reign that kids had back during that era, you know. So, yeah. I don't know. I remember I built a boat to ride out onto a lake and the boat sank as soon as I got to the middle of the lake and I nearly drowned. My older brother fell in the ice when we were playing hockey on a pond in the middle of nowhere. Uh, my friend Keith tells a story of how he once decided to explore the drain pipes in his neighborhood on a skateboard and he got himself stuck in a drain pipe. And the only way he got out was by like using his toes to get himself out backwards. And I'm like, I'm hearing these stories and I was like, how did we get through the late seventies, yeah. early eighties? I have a story of, I, I got, I got on a BMX bike with my friend, Greg, and we just started riding our BMX bikes. And within we did like, we were like 12 and a half miles away from my house. And I didn't know where we were. And we were fully lost at like, three o'clock in the afternoon on a summer, you know, like a summer's day and, and like asked an adult and they didn't abduct us. <laughs> you know, like the guy was like, Oh yeah, you're right. You know, like, like, or, or many, I have a few stories of encounters with like super creepy adults who were like, why did I give you a ride home little guy? And I'm like, knew well enough to run in the opposite direction. Yeah. But I was 
unaccounted for <laughs> at yeah. 10 years old. Just like, I, I'll never forget when we finally got home, there are times where like, cause I, I grew up in, in, uh, in the Woonsocket area of Rhode Island. And there are times where I'll be like out in the country roads outside of Woonsocket where I was lost. And I'll be like, God, this is where I was. Like, I was like two hours by bike away from my house and i was 10 <laughs> and it was like getting dark like what what the hell was i doing out there this this movie too like deals a lot with bullies and i'm I'm not sure how yeah. realistic the dealing with bullies is because I, I think most most kids who had bullies did not get them sent back to reform school well yeah and they didn't like they th- this definitely goes for the three o'clock high approach to dealing with bullies where there's like a great outcome to it but it, you know i i what it, what it does right is like the kind of the the random cruelty cruelty of bullies and it, it it does nail that part but it goes for the it does go for the uplifting ending with like the bully really gets what's coming to him i think about that all the time anytime there's a scene in a movie or a tv show where there's bullying and i mean i i understand it's like a it's like a hollywood version of things that's become like a trope but every the thing that takes me out of it is any time in my real life as a kid or even as a as a young adult where there was a certain amount of bullying going on, there wasn't always this like Greek chorus of approval behind them. There was always right. the other kid who was like, hey, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know what I mean? Like I, I have a I have a really distinct yeah. memory of walking home from junior high and a kid was trying to steal another kid's Nike windbreaker and he was he was bullying him and telling the kid to give him like you know like an 80 dollar windbreaker and there was like a you know a semicircle formed and all of a sudden this sense that this had gotten out of hand like crept over the entire crowd and everybody was like you know what this isn't happening and just sort of as a group put a stop to it the bully trope that always sort of pulls me out of the scene is that in any time I've ever encountered that, there's always been a, an opposing person who's like, hey, stop. Stop it. You're being fucking crazy. But you clearly did not grow up in Philadelphia, sir. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I guess I guess not. Like I maybe I was surrounded by people who were like had agency over themselves and you know I never thought of Woonsocket as a bastion of civility, but apparently it did it it really like I and I really mean it. Like I I have you know, we all have a, a you know a baker's dozen of bully stories in our lives. Every single time I've ever encountered something like that, it was like now. That's this isn't happening. A, a punch would get thrown, and then somebody would cooler heads would prevail, and it would get broken up. You know, I uh, most of my bullying was in middle school. There were some in like ninth grade, and then it, and then it ended. But in middle school, the thing that was wild to me is just like I would just be like at my gym locker, and someone who I thought I was friendly with would just randomly come over and like punch me in the stomach, and I'd be like, "What the hell?" Like that was like that that was you know because. I was a nerdy kid, but I also like kept to myself. But uh, the thing the thing that I like to think of uh, a lot, which is which is interesting to me, is uh, I, I, I only had like three specific bullies and they're they've all died now. Oh, um, man. Um, not through my hand, yeah. but, but I'm very I'm very amused by the fact that they're all they're all dead. And the one guy who was the most cartoonish of the lot 
he was this tall, lanky, red-haired guy, right? I, too, have red hair, and he he would always be like, hey, hey, you, hey, you red-headed rubber scrubber, and I'd be like, <laughs> dude, we both have red hair. What are you? This guy wasn't very bright. He was walking on the train tracks home listening to his headphones, right, with a friend of his, and the friend of his said, and this is, I will edit what he said to not offend anyone, but he he said, uh, he's like, dude, we need to get off these tracks. There's going to be a train coming here. And he, listening to his music, turned to his friend and said, I ain't afraid of no F slang word for a homosexual train. And then two minutes later was hit by said train and killed. And I think there is such beauty to just this, this, just like this, this dude is a dude who just embraced his stupidity yeah. with, with everything in his power. And I, I mean, good for him, you know, in a way that that dude was never not going to get hit by like something terrible was going to happen to him. If his homophobia was so strong, he was directing it towards the rail system. Yes, it was. It's, it's like, <laughs> yes amazing to me and the dude that he was with who was like scarred for life by this uh was just like and everyone knew what he said um another dude uh another dude got shivved in prison which was amazing <laughs> uh and the other dude i think was just like uh was just like an overdose um and he was like he was like the least worrisome bully he was like the friend sometimes slash bully other time that was that could have gone either way with the friend or bully so i feel bad about that one but the other two i'm just like justice you know it's it's funny that that that's a very weirdly specific subgenre of bully the bully who is your friend one day yes and then it's fascinating like some days you you walk home together and you go to his house and he shows you his like metallica poster and a switchblade and then the next time he's throwing rocks at you in my head i i've created a narrative where you have this cursed piece of paper with all three names written down in red ink and they're all like and and you never cross the names out don't cross me people they've they've all paid the ultimate schoenfrud i've got a little list <laughs> like I, I, I mentioned the, the dude with the train so so much because like it seems like something that didn't happen, but the fact that it happened is is so wild to me because yeah, that's like a, that's a wild story. And he was just like a dude who every day it was just like we weren't even in the same classes. He would just see me like on the bus or at school and just like took a disliking to me, and I'm just like. Dude, what did I do today? Like, you know, and he just come out of nowhere. You know how easy it is to not get hit by a train? All you got, all you got to do is just avoid those two specific tracks. But he he had his his yeah. big like orange orange you know Walkman headphones on, and he's like, "I'm afraid of no F train." Like, okay, I would I would pay upwards of $20 to know what he was listening to. Just, I, I don't know why. I just, in my head, I'm like, I want I want him to have been listening. To I feel it was like Pet Shop Boys or something. Like, I think there was a lot of, like, internalized homophobia that he, I'm gay, I can say all these things. So I, I just feel like he, you know, 
I, I just feel like that was what his deal was because so yeah. he's he's walking down the train track. Going, I've got the brains. You, you got, got the looks. looks. Boom! <laughs> Amazing. Uh, if, if, if I know, I know, I'm taking over the, uh, the the conversation here, but I do have another thing to say about this movie that ties it into another real life story that I believe you'll both love. Uh, so this movie has the uh, it, it has the cool teacher. Yes. You got Reggie Bannister as the cool teacher. Now, did either of you have the cool teacher when you were in high school or elementary school or anything? Uh, um, yes. And and did that cool teacher a couple of years later uh, get removed from his job? Perfect. Well, Kevin, I'm glad you brought that up uh, because my cool teacher, who was the teacher who would play the date Grateful Dead, the biology teacher, wears tie dye. He was the cool teacher. He, uh, the cool teacher who, you know, it was an open secret that the cool teacher was smoking joints in, in like the, the back lab of, of his room with students. Uh, the cool teacher who was my class sponsor. I graduated class in 1992, George Washington High School represent the, uh, the cool teacher. Um, he got, Let's just say allegedly, even though it was in the papers, but we're going to say allegedly in case his family is listening to this. Uh, but uh, he he allegedly got a uh, a student pregnant. Now, what he didn't allegedly do, cool teacher, is uh, the cool teacher heard that the student's father was coming after him and said cool teacher went home and turned on his car and lit himself on fire in the car and uh, the cool teacher then killed himself, and it was quite the scandal in Northeast Philadelphia. And this dude was the single creepiest teacher I've ever seen. Man, you you had a colorful childhood growing up. I, I had... Northeast Philadelphia was wild. I went to Catholic school. The most I had to deal with was my ninth grade algebra teacher calling my parents to tell them that I was a Satanist for playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. None of my teachers set themselves on fire. So I uh I can't really speak to that. <laughs> I, I mean, having gone to public school in Northeast Philadelphia, it was it was a wild experience. I did have one religion teacher who would like recount the story of like when he was saved. And it involved like him being like heavily involved in drugs and it of like and then he like saw the light of uh, someone converted him and how he was basically before that he was like, I had a dream and I was dragged into hell. Like he, he was really selling it. And this is, this is at Mount. Yeah. I didn't think they'd, they'd kind of put up with that kind of stuff at Mount Central. You would be amazed the things they would put up with when I went. <laughs> I, to can't, I can't, I can't. They would imagine. not put up with fantasy role-playing games, No, but this other stuff. <laughs> sure. <laughs> They wouldn't put up with a janitor who was maybe wearing a little too much blue and was possibly a member of a of a, of a gang, right, Kevin? <laughs> no, the uh, that's we should tell this story. I will tell this it's story. Not, it's not one of my finer moments. It's a, I it's, can't wait. You almost got me fired, but it's one of the funniest things that's ever <laughs> happened in my life. So, I a few years after I graduated from high school was attending classes at Rhode Island College and got a part time job at a janitorial service, uh, which had many, many accounts that I would, you know, empty trash and clean the bathrooms at, one of them being Mount St. Charles Catholic High School in Woodsocket, Rhode Island. And because, so because the, the uniform that we had 
was like the standard blue Dickies and blue kind of like gas station style shirt shirt. And because I also wore a like a blue gas station jacket with all kinds of patches and stuff on it and blue Puma Clydes, which are like the, you know, the Puma sneakers and a blue baseball hat. And I, you know, I had a lot of stickers on my car that were like, you know, Rhode Island straight edge stickers and punk rock stickers, whatever. The students who I rarely encountered, I was usually there at the end of the day when they were all sort of scattered and going home. As a group, the students decided that I, they were very suspicious that I was a member of of the of the gang, the Crips, <laughs> who, as we know, had a stranglehold on Northern Rhode Island in 1996. Sure. So I don't know the exact details of how it came up, but I, apparently they went to one of the teachers with this idea in their heads that one of the one of the janitorial staff was a member of the Crips, and they the teacher brought their concerns to the principal who informed my boss that they were a little nervous about having a gang member on the premises uh, to which my boss who owned the company, he got my back. He laughed it off. He said that they were being ridiculous. I was wearing the uniform of the job that we had and a pair of blue sneakers. And it was, and I think it was because I had a visible tattoo by that time as well. And I think you told me this at the radio station we were like doing a radio show or something yes and you told this story and i was like well i'm an alumnus of this school i'm gonna set the record straight i'll give them a call on monday (laughs) i didn't tell mike i was going to do this i was me a smart person (laughs) at 19 who knows how to fix things decided i would (laughs) i would give them a call on monday like not remembering that i was um not well liked by the administration (laughs) Yes. Or the teachers of this school. So Kevin took it upon himself to call the principal of the school to clarify that his friend Mike Brusso was definitely not in the crypts. (laughs) The best part of this story is that a couple of days later, my boss. uh, So he and Kevin told me he did this, to which I was horrified and said, you're going to fucking get me fired. (laughs) So the best. So I go to my boss and I'm like, look, I got a problem here. My friend Kevin, who is a genuinely funny guy and probably thought he was doing me a favor, has called the school as an alumnus <laughs> to assure them that I am not a member of the street gang, the Crips. And my boss said, I don't know what to do about this, man. You're you're really fucking killing me here. And I I I honestly don't know how they're going to react to this. But that very evening, I had a shift to scrub and wax the floors at Mount St. Charles and a big ring of keys that gave me access to every room in the building. So I let myself into the principal's office, went to his desk where I found a pink while you were out note (laughs) that, that said, I shit you not sitting on his desk. And it said, Kevin Cafferty parentheses alumnus wants you to know that Michael Brusso, spelled B-R-U-S-S-O, is not in the crypt. <laughs> Which is a, a weirdly cryptic note that, taken out of context, I'm sure the principal would have looked at it and been like, what the fuck is this woman, ta-? you know, or the, the secretary is talking about? 
So I call on the landline from the principal's office, my boss, the owner of the janitorial company and say, look, I got the note. I don't think he's seen it. What do you want me to do? And he said, get it out of there. We'll forget about, we'll forget it ever happened. And I do want you to know that I still have the note. <laughs> and if I can find it, I've moved 74 times. Amazing. But if I can find it, I will post it in the comments of, of the of the podcast. Because oh, that's I, amazing. I, I, I remember thinking like, oh, I should throw this away. And then I was like, wait, why would I throw this away? I'm going to keep this forever and ever. And I filed it away somewhere in a, in a shoebox the the note that Kevin Cafferty was assuring the the uh, principal of Mount St. Charles that I was most assuredly not in the crypt. <laughs> the principal of that school now is someone I graduated with. That's amazing. Yeah, he called me up like trying to get me to donate money, and I, and I was like, <laughs> and I was like, unless you send me a formal apology for the Dungeons and Dragons thing. <laughs> You're not yeah. getting a dime out of me. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I never really thought there would be an opportunity to tell the Mike Bruso is not in the crypt story. So Kenny and company. Kenny and company. <laughs> Skateboarding. Yes. Well, yes. Kenny has a lot of questions about what happens when you die. Yes, he does. And there's a very, uh, there, there's like two scenes that really deal with this. And I, I, I really love the way he handled like that that scene I thought was really interesting um w- both when he's talking with his parents but the way they handle the dog dying like I mean I'm a dog guy who's who lost a like favorite dog like 2 years ago so that scene when I watch it it's it's a difficult watch for me when he's just sitting there with Bob yeah. but yeah it's it's interesting the way they handle death in this yeah. movie well, again, it was one of those moments where I was like, wow, this is a surprisingly nuanced little moment that we're sharing here. Like that weird car accident. Yeah. Well, especially this came like like you had said, Mike, you and Liam had watched all these sort of like very broad asshole-ish coming of age raunchy comedies that probably came in the wake of Porky's. And this movie is is yeah. very much not that. I mean, people keep talking about screening it with the Bad News Bears, and I think it shares a little bit of DNA with the Bad News Bears. But also, I think the Bad News Bears, again, is is far more interested in belly laughs than this movie is. This movie's like Dynamite Magazine, the movie. It's just very, like, it's it's very, like, hey, we want to gently tell you about the world in a weird kind of way that's disjointed. <laughs> Bummers, your dog dies. Yeah. Bummers, <laughs> your bear costume looks like a pig. <laughs> Man, well, Chris, thank you so much for, like, introducing us to Kenny and company. Yeah, uh, I I really... You know, like, I, I have this whole thing where, like, I, there are certain movies that I'm like, I wish Criterion Collection, like, I love the Criterion Collection, but at the same time, I feel like it it has a major, like, stick up its ass, and it needs to release more, like, they they need to expand the parameters of what a Criterion film is a little bit. And I, I really think that this is a movie that should be on the Criterion Collection. And I'm, be, I'm saying this without any kind of snark whatsoever because i think this is an absolutely accurate portrayal of you know childhood in the late 70s and 80s and it is a movie where i i I just feel like if you get the right kind of critical appraisal behind it i'm in no one no one knows who i am whatever but i i mean if you get like get a paul thomas anderson to watch this movie and have him say something about it and yeah. Oh, it, it absolutely. Because he has the knowledge, you know, to 
to do these because like i said at the start of the show this is the kind of like hangout movie that him and tarantino are trying to make constantly look if the rock and armageddon can be part of the criterion collection then so can this there we go yeah but like there's there's like little elements that that ring so true if you like the big deal like at the start of the movie you're two minutes in and like Kenny wants to be done with the game so he can like so he can make the suicide drink, which is just different types of colas all mixed together, like every flavor of soda in one cup. I vividly remember doing that as a kid because I hated playing sports. My parents forced me to play sports for two years. They're like, if you don't play sports, you don't get any comic books. So I did it very begrudgingly. And the one thing I always look forward to was having like after at the end of every game you would get to go and you would get soda and french fries from the uh from the fields like snack bar and every every time i remember like my teammates and i like getting the different flavors of soda and drinking i forget what we called it but it was just like and that was such a cool like accurate kid thing to me and also like the thing with like the big spitball that they make you know it's just like little moments like that are such like forgotten truths of childhood that you have to have a special mind because when we get older and our minds become preoccupied with all the adult shit, you forget about these little moments of kind of magic that, that exists in childhood. And I will say, I will say Chris, um, some of the stuff you show on, on your Twitch shows, like it's like, it's like Bruce with his metal. It's like, you know, he, he had that and I have uh, the, nestle commercial that you show that is the greatest compliment i i can have though is that because that's what i'm going for in my own weird way i mean like there's certain things that i think have value and if they have value to me they can have value to other people you know and i i don't know for those of you listening if you like these things tune into cosmic cartoons every saturday morning on twitch yes and um <laughs> i i'd also say chris like thank uh do you have other stuff to plug are you doing like live shows coming up or what have you i i i don't have any live shows in the works right now but i would just say uh check out my writing on denageek.com and uh i'm doing a this month in arch this month in archie comic history every month for archie comics uh which i think is going to be in some digests and also on the website so that that will start uh this month and also i have there's a uh sabrina 60th anniversary spectacular uh comic that's out now and at the back there i have a uh a timeline of important moments in sabrina and the teenage witch history so that's in stores now that all sounds fantastic i love Sweet. it <laughs> all right i think that's i think that's the show yeah yeah that'll gonna, do it. thank you guys so much, so much for having me all right. i'm gonna smash cut from that into the closing oh, music it was great to have you Thank you for listening. Our website is gleamingthetube.net. We're on Facebook at gleamingthetube, Twitter and Instagram at gleamthetube, and our email is gleamingpod at gmail.com. Production assistance by Liam Gray. Music by Kissing Contest. Skateboarding is not a crime. Skateboarding is not a crime.